0: All right, Lord, we, just, we come before you and we thank you for what you're doing in this place already today. We pray right now, Lord, for ready hearts and ready minds as we just engage in your word. I pray that our minds and our hearts and our spirits will be awakened right now to receive of your word. That we understand that this portion right here is also a portion of worship. It's a portion of praise. It's a portion of giving thanksgiving unto you. And to grow into your likeness from glory to glory till we see you, Messiah Jesus, face to face. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to be out of Matthew 9. And for uh, those of you who haven't, um, are, are new here or are visiting here, <clears throat> we are engaging in a sermon series on the times in life of Jesus where we go through the Gospels and we take a look at the Gospels through a little bit more of a first century kind of lens. So I think a lot of times we go through the Gospels, we listen to the teachings, uh, but we do not always understand uh, the full context of things. And so that's what we've been doing. And so we're now at uh, a new step in Jesus's ministry. And I felt the Lord uh, was just showing me uh, in these scripture verses in Matthew 9, uh, and really just coming to me and and asking me a question, and that is uh, essentially in... In the church at large, right, the big C church, what is the least taught sermon, right? And so I put that out there on Facebook because, you know, I wanted to try to get some, gener- uh, some conversation going. And I wanted to see some people would comment and like respond like, okay, you know, I've been in the church for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years. And you know what? I- I've never heard a teaching on this or a teaching on that, right? So I put it out there. Uh, and so we, we got some responses, uh, some, some interesting ones. So uh, one of uh, the ones, I guess, the, you know, kind of in conjunction was sexual sin and purity. People were like, you know what, we don't really hear many um, teachings on sexual sin and purity issues. And then one person was like, yeah, I mean, they taught that to us like every single week in youth group. And then once I got to the church at large, like never heard it again in my entire life. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? We're like all worried about the kids. But when you're an adult, you have it all figured out now. So, you know, we don't have to deal with that. I mean, so that was an interesting uh, thing. Uh, three was just, you know, general, general sin in general. I mean, we have to obviously always <clears throat> talk about what it means to follow the Lord and, and, and missing out. Uh, and, and what have you. Uh, uh, number four was interesting. What actually happens to you when you die? Like, does anyone ever, like, walk you through the scripture verses and shows you, like, what happens? Interesting one. Money. I thought I was a little peculiar because I think money is like, not necessarily here, but like money is taught all the time in some fashion, right? Give your 10% so the Lord will just bless you kind of thing, uh, which isn't, a, isn't really a complete message on the role of money in the kingdom and things like that. Uh, the fear of God, like just that awe reference, you know, rever- you know, revering Him. Vanity, from Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Songs. Like, oh, you'd be really cool if, I mean, how many of you have read through the Song of Songs? How many of you looked at the intimate language that is being used there? Actually, uh, when they were compiling the Bible, the Song of Songs almost was not put in because it's like rated R literature if you're reading it in the true Hebrew. But it's really a picture of the beauty of the relationship between God and man. That's really what it's about. And so, you know, if you want to look into like what it means to be intimate with the Lord, relationally, spiritually, man, just crack open that book and you'll get it. So I thought those were, were pretty good. But I'm happy to say, it's not the one that I think is the least taught. <laughs> I mean, that might be a good, like, sermon series next, when we've done this. Eh? No, not, every, not everyone's into it? All right, well, maybe that's why it's not, they're not talks, they're not real exciting topics, maybe, but, all right, let's, uh, let's really get into this, and let's, let's see where the Lord is going. This uh, the least taught sermon, and what the topic is, is really the punchline for the end. So we're going to do a lot of leading up to it, and then at the end... Don't worry, there's plenty of scripture references and stuff. It's going to come together, I hope, because we have to build a context of what's going on, all right? (laughs) All right, so Matthew 9, uh, 14 to 17, we're going to begin with. Uh, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, what do we and the Pharisees, or sorry, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Okay? You guys probably have heard that parable before, right? Okay, So we take a look here. And so what's going on here in this little section? So uh, the, the disciples of John go to Jesus and say, Yo, what's the deal with, with, with this? We hear your disciples don't fast. We, the disciples of John, we fast all the time. If you take a look at uh, rabbinical writings, if you were a disciple, uh, you were supposed to be fasting two times a week. I believe it was Tuesdays and Thursdays for most schools. So every week fasting two days a week. Then they're like, wait, Jesus' disciples don't fast. He says, well, how can they fast if I'm here? Right? They're rejoicing right now. But once I leave them, then it's time to fast. And fine, then he starts talking about like, the, the old clothes, the new clothes, the new wine, the old wine, all this kind of stuff. And then, which I haven't read, which we will read in a moment, uh, it then says, and then Jesus, after this parable, goes for a walk. And when he goes for a walk, two things happen. One, a healing of a woman with an issue of blood occurs, which we read during worship. And then two... He raises from the dead Jairus' daughter. Okay? And so that's the context of what's going on. And a lot of times I believe that we read and study scriptures and we take things out, but we never really look at the complete context of what's going on. If you don't look at the complete context of what's going on, you're going to miss out on a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. So sometimes we have to take a little bit more of like a helicopter view, bird's eye view, like what's going on so we can really see what's happening in the scriptures. So, we take a look here, uh, and something's really kind of b- bizarre, I mean, you have the healing of a woman, the issue of blood, holding onto the garment which we were talking about during worship, you have someone being raised from the dead unto life, and essentially, Jesus is using this parable of the wineskins to explain all of this, okay? And so, it's kind of, uh, kind of interesting to kind of look at that, so... What do we have here, right? You have old wineskins and you have new wineskins. So in ancient times, it would be a container of where you would hold, you know, drink, wine. And if you had old wineskins, right, it's been fermented, it's been stretched, it's been settled, right, the leather, and you put wine inside of it, if the wine has been in there and stretched with that wine, everything's gonna be okay. But what happens here is if you put old leather, essentially... Um, and you now put new wine inside of it, what would happen is the fermentation process of that new wine would cause the, ol- the older wine skin to stretch and then pop. It's kind of like a drum. If you tighten a drum too much, it eventually is going to crack. Okay? And so that was a very practical thing that Jesus was talking about that people knew about. Now, what happens here is there's been this old, I, I'm, I'm going to go out and say an incorrect interpretation of the wineskins, that don't take one, the context, they don't look at the context of the story to come to their conclusions, and also uh, just have been running off of Christian tradition for a long time, and I think many people have gotten the parable of the wineskins wrong, and fortunately today, there's new scholarship that's looking at and saying, wait a minute, people have gotten this wrong. They haven't looked at the full picture. They haven't looked at first century Judaism. You just came to bad conclusions because you didn't know the history and the context of when in which Jesus was teaching. Okay. The old concept, the old version of the parable of the wineskins is this. All right. The old wineskin is referenced to Old Testament Judaism. Okay. The new wineskin, the better one, quote, unquote, is the New Testament. And now you have new wine, and you have to put the new wine inside of the new wineskins. New Testament. You can't take the new wine and put it inside of the old wine, meaning the old wineskins, the Old Testament Judaism. They, they, they're not, what is it, simpatico, right? They're not, they're not together, right? They don't, they're, they don't come together. That's been the very traditional view for a long time. It's probably what most of you guys have, uh, have learned. But there's a problem, right, in the context, because uh, not in Matthew, but in Luke... Luke says something that like, made people very confused. In his version of the story of the parable, he says through all this, if you put the new wine skins into the old wine, I'm sorry, if you put the new wine into the old wineskins, anyone who drinks of the new wine tastes it and is like, ugh, this isn't good. But if you drink of the old wine, you're going to say, "Mmm, it's so much better. Matthew and Mark do not make mention of this. Luke does. It was so much of a confusion point that for several of the first centuries of the establishment of the church, they wanted to remove that statement. Because everyone is thinking, oh, the old wineskins, that's Old Testament. New wineskins is a New Testament. So how can Luke say, ah, but if you drink of old wine, old wine tastes better? So then, therefore, you would then say that Old Testament is actually better than New Testament. So they wanted to get rid of that statement. They wanted to erase it from the scriptures. Some of your Bibles will have a little footnote, N-U. Certain manuscripts do not mention this statement. Take a look. You have the New King James, a little asterisk, N-U. Some manuscripts erase this. Okay? Why? Because it did not fit into what people believed to be their view of things. So instead of, like, actually trying to look at it, let's remove it. Okay? So this takes us to people in scholarship who understand first century perspectives. So this is what some of the newer scholarship is saying, and this is what people are saying if you actually knew something about rabbinical Judaism, which Jesus knew about. Like, you know, if you're Scandinavian from, you know, from Denmark in the, in the middle, middle Ages, or you're a German living in the woods looking at this stuff, you're not going to get the cultural context, right? So what they're saying here is this. So we can understand this more. If you take a look at the Greek, when Jesus says I, uh, you, you, are, you are taking new wine and you're putting it into old wineskins, you look at the Greek, the Greek word that is being used there for new... Wine is a Greek word, neo, which means new in response to time. Like you went to the shelf and you brought a new drink. It's in response to time. He then talks about new wineskins. When he references new with wineskins, he uses the Greek word kanos, which is refreshed. And renewed. So, to try to make some sense out of this. What scholarship is really saying, when I believe the Lord is really saying here is this. Jesus is talking in a community, John's disciples and Pharisees, and what does he say? You guys are taking new wine. You are taking, not me, you guys, are taking new teachings and you're trying to insert it into old wineskins. What does this mean? This means, essentially, in the first you are taking new teachings that you rabbis are creating and you're trying to insert it into the Judaism and the faith of God. And then if you taste of these new traditions by men, of course, Luke says, the old the Bible tastes better than all of these oral traditions that the Pharisees are teaching people. That's the real context. But then he says, ah, but if you take new wine, new teachings, essentially the teachings that he is giving, and you insert it into new wineskins, into new bodies, into new temples, into refreshed renewed temples of God, then you can house the new teaching of Messiah. That's what he's getting at here. And so the logical conclusion with this is the rabbis and the Pharisees are attempting to put new teachings into the wineskin, the Old Testament, the Bible. And of course, the words of God, the covenant of God, is going to be much more better than something that a bunch of rabbinical schools are coming up with. And if you try to take teachings of men and you put it into the teachings of God, you very well can destroy the appropriate interpretation of God's word and the wineskin is going to crack and bust. That's what's going on here. So, you know, you're like, okay, first century Pharisees, all this kind of stuff. What does this mean for us? It's this, man. This parable is really this. You cannot and will not change yourself By putting new ideas and new teachings into old containers. What we have here is this. Lots of people try to change their behavior by adopting new teachings. and They think everything's going to change, but really what happens is you need to allow yourself to be changed. Your container, your wineskin needs to be changed to receive the teachings of Jesus. Your wineskin, your body needs to be renewed, it needs to be refreshed before you can house the teachings of Jesus, before you can house the teachings of a pastor or any teacher. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily have you guys raise your hands, but it's kind of like, man, you know, you hear all of these teachings, not just from from me, but from Ramon, from Alan, from John, from Josh, from um, Millie, from Bill Johnson, from Francis Chan, from... Valentin to all these big mega lord names, you know. You receive these teachings, but if you do not see change in your life, it may be that you're just receiving new teachings, My God. but you're not changing the wineskin. This is why we have believers who sit around the church for 30, 40 years and they change not. They never change, they never grow, they never become a disciple. They never become one who can teach others. Because they receive, they receive, they receive, and they burst. Because they did not allow Jesus, they did not allow the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, to change them. Wow. That is what teach, Jesus is saying. For hundreds of years, you've had rabbis and Pharisees trying to give you new teachings. Some were really good, actually. If you read them, you're like, wow, that's really good. There's actually a book called The Jewish Sources and the Pharisaic sources of the Sermon on the Mount. Just so you know, like Jesus' teachings right there, guess what? They're not all new. There are other rabbis who are saying the same thing, but no one was able to receive those teachings throughout the hundreds of years because their wine skins were not changed. You get what I'm saying? Woo! That's right, we got an amen from... Little one. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about this a little bit. What did I do? I don't know what I did, guys. I don't know where I am. Do you remember what I was just saying? Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So this whole thing with the wine skin. So we're going to take a look at this is what I just taught you. Now you take a look at the events that are taking place when Jesus is talking about this parable. Now that you appropriately understand the parable, hopefully, you can now understand the events that are making the parable come to light. Got it? That's the goal. All right. So what we have here is this. He now gives his teaching, and then there's someone who calls for him, like, my, my, my daughter is dead, can you please come to my house? Jesus starts to walk to the house, but then he's interrupted on his way to, to look into what's happening. And he's interrupted by a woman, who had a flow of blood. This is verse 20. So, Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. And suddenly, Jesus is interrupted. A woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. And then Jesus came into the ruler's house, Jairus, and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing in prayer. And he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. Very important. And the girl rose. And the report of this went out into all the land. Two stories, that are two situations, events that are taking place. One, A woman with the issue of blood. What you need to understand here is that according to God's word, according to the law of God of the Old Testament, that woman is unclean. When you went through your menstruation, you are unclean. You cannot be touched. You can't be really in the house. You're kind of set out for a little bit. And then Jesus feels like, in other versions, in other Gospels, he feels power was left him, right? It it went. And he says, well, who who touched me? And this woman is actually quite reluctant, like, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Why? Because here's his rabbi. She has an issue of uncleanliness. And he, and she touches him. That would make the rabbi, the man, unclean. That's why she's like, I, I don't know if I should say who, who it was, and that's when Jesus says, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well, right? If I can only touch the hem of his garment, right? So let's take a look at this garment for a moment. This, uh, this garment right here, it's called the talit in Hebrew, right? Uh, it was commanded for all of Israel to wear it. Interesting enough, it doesn't say for the men, it just says all of Israel. There's different interpretations of that. All of Israel is to uh, wear this garment. Uh, It's found in the book of Numbers, Numbers 1538. It says that you are to wear a garment, and on the four corners of the garment, you are to have tassels. Okay? Uh, And the tradition is that on the tassels, the, the windings on it actually spell something out. Okay? There are numbers that are involved, and each number references a letter to the Hebrew alphabet. And if you take a look at the four sections, the four sections, the windings, are the alphabetical letters Yud, He, Vav, He, which is Yahweh. Okay? So, what was supposed to happen? Okay? A Jewish person is to wear this, and they take a look at the garment, right? They see the tassel, and they are reminded of God's what? His name, His commandment. Okay? This is the original what would Jesus do bracelet. This is it. This is the original. Okay? The original. Now what happens here is this garment that represents the covenant of God, the Word of God, and His name, the woman wants to go out and touch that garment. She touches that garment. She touches socks. She touched the outer garment. She touched the talit. The, that which represents the covenant of God The name of God I mean, if you really want to get into it Jesus says, you know, it says in the book of Revelation That when he comes back He's going to be riding on a horse With his name dipped in blood on his thigh Guess what the tradition was in Judaism If you were murdered You take their talit You dip it in their blood And put it in the tomb with them As a sign of how he was destroyed I really do believe when Jesus comes back He is the unspeakable. No one knows the name on, Written on his thigh no one knows how to pronounce Yod Hei Vav because there aren't the vowels or there aren't the consonants there. Some people think it's Yahweh, some think it's Yavah, some people think it's Jehovah. All these different kinds, no one knows how to pronounce a name. And Jesus is going to return with the unpronounceable name of God on his thigh, dipped in blood when he's on the white horse. That's numbers for you. And there's more proof text to it. You see, David goes in to Saul and he, was about to, he cuts his garment off of Saul and says, I could have killed you, bro, but I didn't. What garment? It's a talit, But That's a rabbit trail, maybe that's some other kind of lesson. But I had to to give that to you for those that are kind of grabbing this stuff. And now he goes, and now he heals Jairus' daughter, Matthew 9, 24. So what do we have? If we bring it back to the notion of wineskins, what would the old wineskin have to say? What would the Old Testament have to say about both of these scenarios? You're unclean. A dead body, you're unclean. You cannot touch it, let alone touch the hand. Unclean, according to Levitical law. You're now unclean, bro. You need to now wash yourself. You have to be baptized. You have to be mikvahed. You have to be baptized wash yourself ceremonially. woman would have to do that every month. Now, can you imagine doing that for 12 years straight because you have an issue of... Every day you have to cleanse yourself and then you have an issue of blood again, an issue of blood again, an issue of blood again. Because you're unclean, you're unclean, you're unclean. So in the Old Testament, the Word of God says, yes, you are unclean. And men had issues for being unclean as well, which we don't have to talk about quite yet, or maybe not just now. And what's the new wine of the Pharisees that don't, doesn't jive with, the, with, with God's Word? Right? You have these new teachings that you're trying to insert into the Word of God. What did the Pharisees have to say about this cleanliness issue? Well, it was beyond being unclean. What they would say here is, oh, Jess, you have an issue and uh, with everything that is going on because you know what? You must have sinned. Oh. Yeah. That's what the Pharisees would say. Oh, you're sick? Alan, you were sick for a week? It must have been you sinned, man. You're unclean. God's law just said you're unclean. Go wash yourself now and come back to the community. That's what it literally says. If you, do, you touch death, if you have menstruation, just cleanse yourself and come back to, to the community. That's it. It's that simple. The Pharisees now say, no, no, no. If you're dealing with these stuff, it's beyond being unclean, man. We cannot even interact with you. You've sinned. Remember, Jesus says, like, some people say, why is this person sick? It's because they've sinned or their parents have sinned. He says, no, it's all been done so that God can be glorified. glorified." That's why. But the Pharisees would say, oh, you're unclean. Even if you wash yourself, hey, man, I don't know. There's something going on, man. You you must be sinning that all this is happening. That's the context. Amen? Amen. (laughs) but Jesus. Jesus, the bearer of both a new wine, a new teaching, and also the one who is the giver of the new wineskin. What does he have to say about this situation? Now, this is not Jesus speaking, but this is how he spoke to me when looking at this. Normally, the impure defiles the pure. But now with Jesus, the new wine and the new wineskins and now the opposite happens. The pure cleanses the impure. This is when the woman touches like, Oh my gosh, well, I don't know if I should do this. And he says, oh, my purity as the son of God has cleansed you. Amen. You don't have to be washed. And then he goes and calls her daughter. Mm. The Pharisees are saying, you're a scum. You've sinned. Jesus says, I'm healing you and I'm calling you daughter. You don't have to be out in a tent somewhere. You don't have to be thinking that you're a sinner. I'm saying you're a daughter. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Yes. But you see, you can't receive that teaching, right? You can't receive that you're a daughter. You can't receive you're a son. You cannot receive the understanding that you are clean. Amen. Unless someone comes... And cleanses your skin. So many people in the church who still think they're dirty. Still think they're impure. Still think that they're a sinner. Still think that they're not good enough. All of this bogus stuff that Satan tries to put on you. That is the word of the Pharisees. That's the new wine trying to be inserted into the old wine. Jesus is saying, you are a new creation. So... We poked a little fun at maybe first century Judaism. Let's, let's poke fun at 21st century Christianity, for crying out loud. What's the new wine, their new wine, that they try to insert into God's word to say this is how you do things? I don't know. Things like you got to wear a suit to church. Have you ever been in a congregation where it's like, oh, they're not wearing a suit. Uh, you know, I don't know. You, uh, you holy enough for what? Some of us have been in that situation, me being one. I, hey man, you do five songs by uh, Bethel, five songs by uh, Jesus Culture, rock out a little like twenty-minute sermon, twenty-five-minute sermon, boom—that's the way you get it done, man. That's 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 really that's what our market analysis has shown to really what brings in people from the church, you know, from from the town. That's really what you're supposed to be doing. Please, I mean, I got people who come up to me like, "Yo, service is a little long." Okay. I'm, just we well, I want to rejoice in the Lord. I don't know, advertisements like you got. You gotta really do this advertisement campaign in order to bring people in. You gotta have all these astounding programs. You know that's what people really want these days. You need a women's group. You need a men's group. You need the youth group. You need the singles group. You need the college group. You need all these kind of groups. Blah blah blah. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm totally. My personal favorite, you know. Anyone who's been to seminary know this, knows this. Like, they, they actually have you take business classes. Like, yeah. Like an MDiv, a Master's in Divinity, is essentially like a spiritual master's in business. This is how you grow with the numbers. Look at these charts. Look at this community. Like, that's what it's done. Like, that's 21st century Christianity. It's, it's a model of teaching built off of uh, Microsoft, not the Word of God. So I mean, we can come up with lots of things, right? Lots of things, you know. But this is where it really comes down to. What we all need, what we really all need is a refreshed wineskin. A renewed wineskin. We can all learn new ways of understanding of the word, but it will do nothing unless our wineskin is renewed and refreshed. If we can have the worship team come on down, please. We need our wineskins, our spiritual beings, our, our, our containers to be renewed and refreshed. It can't just be a new teaching as in, oh, I never heard this message before and it's new to me. It has to be, I've heard this message a thousand times, but it's new to me. It's renewed. It's refreshed. That's what it has to be. And so, you know, I'm not picking on us, but I just want to put some things into the context here. Renewing the wineskin. You know, you're like, well, Dave. How you know? I understand new teachings and all this stuff. And how do you renew the wineskin? How do you renew yourself, your body, your, your being? Right? Come on, how do you do that? Come on, have you been here for the last year? So you haven't. I mean, in the last year alone, the themes that keep coming up in our sermons, over and over and over again, is all foundational principles on how to renew your wineskin. Okay, go back listen to them if you want to, but you know it's a good year, or maybe even two years, we've been teaching all this stuff. I don't mean like every week, but it's a theme that comes up in worship. It's a theme that comes through the teachings. And so what, what has it been? One is that you know, we need to come to a place of, of, of a new revelation of the love of Jesus in our life. Right? That love that may have, have grown cold. How about just be real here, right? You get married to someone and you're there for, the honeymoon period is over and, you know, everyone's busy doing all this kind of stuff and it comes to a point of like, whoa, we got to renew the love again, you know, we refresh it. It's just like with Jesus, right? To meditate on such things as the love of Messiah, the power of the cross. That's why Paul says, I get down on my knee for this very thing, that you would know the depth, the height, the width of God's love for you. It's a prayer by leadership to the congregation. Pray, pray, day in, day out, without saying, Lord, I just want to know your love and receive your love. That is better than any 20-minute, 30-minute, or 55-minute sermon. One glimpse of his love for you, man. Woo! I'll propel you into eternity. So you've got to position yourself for that. Ask, Lord, today, I'm asking. Reveal more of your love to me. Remind me. That's been a theme in this place. A second major theme has been to understand what it means to have an identity as sons and daughters. You're not a slave per se, although it does say that we're servants to to, to the Lord, but you're sons and daughters, right? We don't have to cry out as orphans, but actually cry out as adopted sons. What does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? We've had like, I don't know, a dozen teachings on that. Three, pursuing the presence. Understand that the Holy Spirit is a a person of the Godhead. He's not an electrical force that just does things for you at certain times. He is a part of the Godhead that is to be honored and worshipped. He is a person, a being, not just a force. He is He. And invite that into your life. I'm telling you, that alone will, like, completely changing, you, you know? Amen? Alright. So how else do you renew the wine skin? <laughs> so, and some of you are like, oh, this whole thing is the last, or the least taught sermon. I spent all this time to get to this place. Now I could have began with this place, but if I began with this place, most of us would just be like, ah, over our head, and next week, you'd just be like, huh? New wine skins. I'm throwing myself in here, okay? We have spent a year, we've spent two years in all of these wonderful things. I've spent 30 years <laughs> receiving awesome teachings from the Lord, but I know that we need to have our hearts Renewed, right? Our wine wineskins renewed? And so what is really, what's really the least taught sermon in the church? Jesus uses this parable to explain these events. wine skins renewal, healing of a woman, issue of blood, raising of Jairus' daughter, and all begins with, do you see it? Do you see it? No one even mentioned it on Facebook because it's so foreign to us. Oh, I, that's, I circled it now. Do you see it yet? Oh, I circled it again. Just to make sure. Do you see this? The context of everything that I just taught to you was a question on fasting. When do you fast? When don't you fast? Should we fast? Should we not? And it gets into all these elaborate things of cleanliness and unclean. But I've made you clean, and I've done all these things for you. And yeah, all, you don't receive new teachings from the Pharisees, but I've given you a new teaching and new wineskins. And you need to make your wineskins pure. And how do you do it? Understanding the revelation of God's love for you, identity as sons and daughters, pursuing the presence of the Holy Ghost, but also this. Fasting. <laughs> If you can say to yourself, I have just spent the last 30 years of my life receiving teachings from the Lord, and I have not changed yet. What's going on? I haven't changed yet. Have you saying I've spent the last year or two years listening to cool teachings, but I haven't changed yet. You need to receive the new wine, and I'm telling you, there's no quicker way to understand the revelation of His love for you. There's no quicker way for you to adopt new thinking of new mind. From the Lord, then purposely denying yourself as an act of worship to God that says, I need you more than food. I need you more than coffee. I need you, King Jesus, more than television. I need you, Holy Spirit, more than Facebook." My God. The power of fasting, I think, is by and large the least taught topic in the church. And it just so happens that the old wineskin of Judaism is going to be doing it this week. The entire nation of Israel will stop and fast this Tuesday into Wednesday for the Day of Atonement. It's a prime opportunity, church. If you're getting stirred right here, come on. This Tuesday into Wednesday, go fast. So, Jesus, I want to get real with you, man. And so, let me just clarify a little bit with fasting because people are like, ah, fasting. There is no absolute mandate. We'll say this again. There is no absolute mandate in the New Testament to fast. But you get to. Jesus doesn't say, make sure thy fast. He does say when you do fast, make sure, but it's not like you have to fast, but we get to, you get to, I get to. There are plenty of references in the New Testament on fasting. Just know an absolute commandment like you must fast. Let me clarify this. What fasting is not? Fasting is not a way to convince God of an outcome. If I just don't eat for 40 days, I'm now going to twist the arm of God to do something that I want. That is not what fasting is. It's not. That would be striving. So what is it? It's a personal desire and expression of will that I am purposely going to put myself in a place that forces me to understand that I need something even greater than food right now. I need God. That's what it is. It's an expression of your heart. I need you, God, more than anything else on earth. Anything. Food, yes. Water, yes. Depending on how the Lord directs you. Fasting and need. We see in Acts chapter 13 that the apostles are are trying to figure out who they should send on the next missionary journey. And they don't know. So, what do they all do? They all fast and they all pray. We need wisdom on a situation. So, we're going to fast to receive wisdom. Not to convince God to send this guy or this guy. No, Lord, we want to hear from you. So, we're going to fast because we need wisdom. And so what do we have here is is something very beautiful. By denying food and prayer, or by dying food and also by engaging in prayer, essentially you are quieting your carnal nature, right? Your flesh. And when you tear bring back the flesh a little bit, you get to hear from God much, much more and much clearer. Another very powerful reason for fasting. It's an act of worship. If I don't eat lunch and I don't eat dinner during that time, I get to focus on the God, not all these idols that our society makes. Uh, if you have an idol in your life, it's going to keep you from really getting a new wineskin. It's going to hold you back if you have an idols in your life. You do understand that people still put idols in their life, right? Everyone gets that concept, right? Yes. Not everyone, I should say everyone, but some people still put idols in life you need to tell that idol I don't need you I don't need you I need God I want a new wineskin so if an idol is television kill it if idol is food Do not eat for one 24-hour period and remind that little thing that you are not the God of me. Cigarettes, nicotine, I know, it's hard to break. But you know, start small. Just say that one little cigarette. Say, you know what? For one 24-hour period, I want to tell you that you are not my master. Start there. Killing idols, smashing idols, man. It will destroy it, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get, I'm telling you, you're gonna get a new wine skin, and that new wine is gonna come in and just fill you up. Oh, this is the context of this parable. Fasting. In closing up here, hey man, if you want to fast television, if you want to fast chocolate, if you want to fast radio or fast video games or Facebook, that's cool. That's cool, man. But biblically speaking, you fast food. You do not eat food. Like, the disciples aren't like, hey guys, maybe we should like, not watch TV or play as many board games right now. I mean, they're on fire! Let's get it hurt! Yeah, no food! I want to hear the Lord. Really, in Scripture, there's two things related to fast, uh, and that is food. And there's different times. There's a Daniel fast where you eat just fruits and vegetables. Which for some of us, that's kind of difficult. And for some of us, it's a lifestyle if you're vegetarian. But there's also just the denying of the flesh of not eating at all for a period of time. Sometimes with water, sometimes without water. It's up to you. And there's one other thing I have to make mention for fasting. And actually, the New Testament says when you are fasting, it could be food. It can also be sexual intercourse with your spouse. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter seven verses three to five says, "Only deny marital visitation, Mar- marital rights to your spouse. Like meaning, only refuse sex to your spouse when it is being allotted for fasting and prayer, and then quickly make sure you go back and engage in sexual intercourse so that temptation will not rise up. But I mean, let's think about this: food and sex." I mean, those are very deep primitive places of the brain, of impulse, of desire, of want. That's what Jesus is going after. I want you to want me more than anything else. So that you can really house more of the teachings of the presence of the Lord. And that's, you know, look, be real. That's like, it could be like even, if like, even if you're like super Christian. There's always time and importance for the renewal of your wineskin, keeping it new and fresh for, for the upcoming more. And so truly leaving this off, here's a cool quote by John Piper that was really nice just to kind of really make understanding of fasting. And he says this, Fasting is not a replacement for faith in Jesus. It is a servant of faith in Jesus. Fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. It is a way of saying that we are not going to be enslaved by food as the source of our satisfaction. We will use the renunciation of food from time to time to express that Jesus is even better than food. Jesus is more needful than food. That is a beautiful way of talking about that. And so, you know, just to, as a little caveat, you know, some people cannot fast food literally because of health. Blood pressure, insulin, diabetes, pregnant. I mean, I don't want my wife fasting food right now. I mean, I don't know if that'd be the wisest thing, right? So there's other things you can fast. But I'm just gonna throw another caveat on there is that if you don't have a health complication, I'm gonna encourage you to fast. Food, not the TV. Food, because when you're fasting, food. When you're watching TV, you're gonna want to eat food. But when you're fasting, food, and you worship King Jesus, you want know more of the bread of life. Yeah, this is good. Least taught sermon or no? no? I thought it was. You think so? Come on, let's uh, let's worship the Lord that we get to fast. We get to worship Him, not just with our mouths, but with our stomachs. We get to partner with the Holy Ghost to have a renewal of wineskins to receive new wine from the Lord. Come on, let's, let's just close out. I know it's a... I guess it might be getting a little late, but we're in the presence of the Lord, so who cares, right? Remember, we're going to have a little time to honor Christian Rahman downstairs, if you like. So maybe it's not the best time to start fasting, right? Because they're with us. But once they leave, that's... Lord, we just want to worship you. We thank you that you are not a taskmaster that says you have to fast. But you're a loving God that says you get to. You get to deny yourself and deny the cross. To come into my presence and to receive more of my new wine. We worship you, Lord. Let's just worship. Yes, Jesus. Yes.